Welcome to the Vegan Family Kitchen. My name is Bridget Jim and I am your host here and also the main cook in this real life kitchen. I am here today in the company of Kartik Shaker, who is the author of a fascinating book that I hope you will all want to dig into. It is called After Meat, The Case for an Amazing Meat-Free World. And heaven knows that I also dream of that wonderful after meat, meat-free, amazing world. And I'm sure uh, he will be uh, helping us today get closer to that stage. Nice to see you, Kartik. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I would like to introduce you first as a former bioengineer and systems biologist in academia. He now works as a data scientist in the alternative food industry. And we were just talking before hitting um, the recording button about how the industry has been transformed over the last few years and it's gone from something really marginal that everybody thought was weird into really the mainstream of food. And it is exciting to think about the future together. So I'm really happy to have you here today. So um, do you have a copy of your book that you can show us? Because it's got such a wonderful cover. And I will, yeah, thank you. It looks beautiful, I love it. Uh, And let's just start by talking about why, and you and I know the answer to this, but why do we need a world without meat? Yes, so I'll start with the environmental. So I would actually argue that animal technology is one of our most destructive technologies environmentally. And this is kind of deceiving because I think a lot of people focus too much on emissions. And you know, if you, of course, uh, compare animal agriculture to say the transportation sector, you know, it doesn't seem as bad as the transportation sector. And, you know, so our, so our knee jerk is that we need to fix transportation. But um, the biggest calamity from animal agriculture in terms of the environment comes from the land usage. So right now, more than 30% of ice-free land on planet Earth is used for animal agriculture or is feeding animal agriculture. And if we're thinking about, you know, climate change and how we're going to get to this, uh, you know, 1.5 degrees Celsius limit that uh, has been discussed, uh, you know, so profusively in uh, recent uh, news, the best way we can do it is actually by diminishing animal agriculture, you know, getting to more efficient technologies, as I write about, and freeing up this land so that we can revitalize forests. This is actually one of the easiest solutions for us to, to curb climate change. So true, so true. Yeah, and, um, and the second big reason, of course, is the ethical reasons. And, you know, I know that can be a very sore spot, uh, you know, with certain listeners, but, you know, I don't like to, you know, hide from it or shirk away from it. But, you know, animal, animal agriculture is, you know, responsible for so much un- unnecessary suffering. And, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, one of the things I try to stress is that, you know, in the long run, we'll be able to have foods that taste better, uh, are cheaper, more nutritious, and being better ethically and environmentally. So we can have a win-win. Absolutely. That's beautiful. So the environment and obviously the ethics are the two main drivers for you that um, explain why we urgently need to look for a future without without meat, right? Absolutely. Yes. That sounds, that sounds so good. And now I want you to tell me how, how we're going to get there. Yes, yes. So I would say the biggest differentiator of After Meat uh, versus, you know, similar books on similar topics is that I really emphasize this technological angle towards this transition. 
So I think, you know, as we just discussed, Bridget, um, you know, there's these very compelling ethical environmental reasons, but they're also very compelling technological reasons to actually, you know, divorce ourselves from animal products. And what I mean by that is if we look at a cow as a bioreactor to make, you know, goods that we use, you know, those goods being meat, dairy, clothing, and we actually evaluate that bioreactor, the cow, uh, you know, in terms of metrics, you know, used in chemical engineering, we see that it, the, uh, the cow actually performs, she, she, she performs terribly, you know? You know <laughs> totally, nine, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not an know. optimal, optimized system, that's for sure. Not at all, uh, you know, 90% of what we feed her is, you know, quote unquote, wasted, you know, she grows slowly, you know, taking at least, um, you know, nine months to, you know, go from, you know, calf to, you know, something we, uh, to, to uh, this being we can turn into burgers uh, and she can't be innovated upon, you know, that much more. And, um, and I just want to say, we love cows for other reasons. <laughs> you know, there's other reasons to love cows, but their efficiency at creating food is, should not be one of them. It's pathetic. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I do, I do take this very impersonal, you know, a, approach to, to animals, but, you know, I, I'm actually, trying to echo, you know, I think some of these notions that, you know, a large part of this industry does ha have as well. Of course. No, and, that's totally know, right. Uh, I mean, it is for many people an economic transaction, but once you shine a light on it, you realize it's not even a good one. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And, uh, and yes, uh, so just to, you know, finish that point. Um, so a cow is just an incredibly inefficient machine to make goods. And, and, the, and, and really we have much more efficient machines to make foods, actually plants, plants are that. And um, I talk a lot about this technology, microbial fermentation, which I think is going to really come come to bear in the coming years, and you know potentially be a source of meat, dairy, and clothing. Can you tell me a little bit more about that process, without necessarily going deep in the technical details? But I'd I'd like to have a better understanding of how it works. Absolutely. So it's not a foreign process. This is not something that you know aliens have just uh, you know beamed onto <laughs> our planet. It's, uh, it, you know, we're actually using it already for things like beer, wine. So the way we make beer is we take, uh, you know, barley or wheat, we, you know, we, we cook it and then it's a sugar slurry and then yeast will actually eat it and turn it into alcohol and CO2. And um, we can actually, you know, use the same sort of process to make other goods. So, uh, you know, a, a probably the most canonical example in the meat in the alternative meat world is is corn q u o r n yes where uh, where they take you know these fungi and they actually grow it in the same sort of uh, bioreactors as they do in, in beer and these fungi make mycelium which is basically this uh, this uh, very rich uh, protein material and mm -hmm. that can be fashioned into into meat. Right. That is that is very cool. So what are the other kinds of developments? I think you're currently working also in the cheese area. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So my company, Climax Foods, is working particularly on dairy. We see dairy as, you know, basically the biggest, you know, opportunity in the alternate food industry. I think, uh, you know, milks have gotten really good. You know, I think even mm -hmm. most of my friends who, you know, aren't, aren't vegetarian, actually prefer oat milk when they, you know, when they go to the cafe, right. uh, you know, meat, uh, ground beef, I think is getting pretty close to impossible burgers, beyond burgers. They're, they're all, they're all really good. And, you know, and recapture that experience quite well, but, uh, cheese, you know, quite frankly has been, you know, pretty lacking. And, yeah. um, the reason why cheese is so hard 
is because of the casein protein. So this, this casein protein is, is found in dairy milk and it gives cheese all of its properties. So, so the stretchiness, the meltability, the, you know, being able to even form cheese in the first place is all dependent and hinges on this casein protein. And um, we just haven't found a plant analog to it uh, you know, right. that, can, that can do all these same functions. And so my company, Climax Foods, we're taking data science approaches to try to, you know, to, to really scan the plant world and try to find, you know, you know, really good dairy replacements. Right. So, for, for cheese specifically. Yeah. So yeah. what, I mean, the, the way you talk about it makes me extremely hopeful um, that we're almost there, right? Or that actually it's already there in many ways. And we can see there's so many interesting analogs now for anybody who would want to eat a meat-like product or a yeah. dairy-like product with perhaps the exception of cheese. Although I'd say cheese has also made quite a bit of progress, um, definitely compared to the you know, yes. early 2000s. Yes. But um, there still obviously are you know, a dominant meat biological or animal meat on the market. What, what do you think are the obstacles that are getting in the way of those kinds of engineered analogs um, taking most of the space in grocery stores and leaving, you know, real meat to become a marginal marginal product. What, yes. what gets in the way? Yes, and um, and yes, this this does get to another big differentiator of after meat versus you know how I even think you know differently compared to the rest of the alternative food industry. So right now, I would say the biggest barrier is trying to get everything molecularly exact. So, so, so what I mean by that is, you know, we're gonna replace steaks, you know, with these, uh, you know, cultivated, you know, meat steaks where we, we have the stem cell for, you know, a cow and then we grow it into a steak. I actually think this is an absurd strategy. I, I actually think in the long run, this might not even be worth our time. I actually think the way this transition is going to occur is because we're actually making things that are actually better than anything we could do in the in the animal-based world. So uh, what I mean by that is, you know, if you look at you know the traditional slate of vegetarian vegan foods, you know, so think about something like a falafel, right? You know, when I eat a falafel, I'm not I'm not trying to you know recreate the experience of eating you know chicken shawarma or or carnitas or anything <laughs> like that. I, I just like falafel. It's 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 really good. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and so that's what I think, that's actually where I think this industry needs to go. We need to start thinking about foods that actually, you know, explore this whole, whole new space that we're, we're just not even conceiving of right now. Things that, you know, that, you know, taste better or healthier, you know, you know, um, cost less than a steak, but, you know, and, you know, and, you know, when put side to side, we would never even want the beef steak. We would, we'd want this new thing. Right. Why, why are we not there? You think it's just a matter of not having yet struck the right combo uh, of, you know, biochemicals basically, or is there something else that's stopping us? I think it's really how this, I think the industry, the alternative industry, alternative uh, food industry right now is really, really worried about customer perception. That drives a lot of the efforts. So companies will spend, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to try to, you know, make casein to molecular exactness because they want to be able to brand their product in a way to say that this is exactly like milk. 
but right. the only thing was that it was just produced differently. Right. And in this 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 compulsion to molecular exactness is 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 what what makes things so expensive and difficult. And I I think actually, you know, I think things would actually proceed much faster. And um, you know, we'll get to this transition if um, you know that that shackle wasn't there. Right. So you're suggesting we should basically break free, have a disruptive innovation, kind of like one day Apple decided to make an iPod or you know something that did not exist and just make people want it. Is that kind of what you're talking about? That's exactly what I'm talking about. And um, you know, there, there, I'm actually already starting to see a few examples of this. Um, so Bridget, you mentioned uh, vegan cheeses and you know, you might be alluding to the fact that, you know, we just had to deal with uh, Daya <laughs> back in the, you know. They're a Vancouver early... company, so I'm, I never say anything <laughs> bad about them. I got to say, my son will not have any other cheese than Daya. Oh, because for okay. him, that's that's cheese. <laughs> you know, he's as religious about Daya as some other people will be about real cheese because that's his imagination of what cheese is. I come from French heritage, so obviously... Yeah. I would have seen things differently. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, and for what I said, Daya has come a long way. Like recent Daya products I've tried are much better than they were yeah. when I and tried them 10 years ago. Yeah, their, their goal, I got to say, is to be free of allergens, right? And so, yes, yeah. they do, you know, they, they do make a cheese replacement, but their, their thing is that they have to be free of all of those allergens, which happen to be in many cases, those that are typically used to make cheese alternatives, right? So, um, Anyway, no, no bad words against Daya. I love them uh, for, for what they are. I respect their mission. I think they're doing awesome work and great pioneers. But yes, not convincing alternative for many uh, original cheese lovers, right? Absolutely. And and yes, they do solve a problem, but they don't solve the problem of you know that that uh, original cheese replacement. Exactly. Uh, and and you know, I was getting to Miyoko's. I think is sort of the newer you know the newer game in town and yeah. you know they're a little uh, they're they're uh, i would say a step up in terms of recreating that cheese experience and um they recently developed a liquid mozzarella right so it's a it's it, it comes in a bottle and <laughs> okay. um and and so if you're making a pizza you know it's you're not actually having to deal with treads anymore you just you just right. uh you know put your sauce and then you just you just pour it on and um you know actually i think it's i think it's actually a great example of this uh you know this new territory of food that right. um you know is pretty intriguing yeah they've they've broken apart from the packaging i mean i do the same thing when in my meal plans i i put pizza normally i don't recommend people use shreds although in a in a bind it's it's okay uh, but usually i say drizzle cashew cream on top. I mean, you don't need cheese. You need something on top of your pizza that's a different color, right? And that <laughs> yeah. has a different experience. I think we're we're often thinking that we need cheese, for example, on top of a big dish of spaghetti bolognese, you know, vegan bolognese, you kind of want to have Parmesan, but no, you don't need Parmesan. You need something else with a different texture and a bit of umami. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I love, yeah, I love this idea of disrupting the existing containers of food and, and going forward with the new new forms, right? Why not? Um, so tell me a little bit more then about the nutritional implications of the switch that you're talking about. Yes, yes. Um, I know that, you know, the big worry here is that we're creating, you know, you know, quote unquote, Franken foods or engineered foods. And, you know, there, there are many ways 
you know, to, to reach this end. I don't want to use the term skin the cat because, uh, you know, I'm against <laughs> it, but, but, uh, you know, there are ways we can get here without, um, you know, necessarily doing bioengineering, but, you know, in full disclosure, I do think bioengineering is something we need to consider. And I do talk about that in the book, but I don't think we have time to go into that fully. So I'll just pay it lip service in that way. And, and so what I think though, is that with these new foods, we actually have the opportunity to have more customizable uh, nutritional personal, pers personal foods for personal nutrition. So we can think about, you know, say for example, an older adult who is struggling to, you know, get protein content or to, to, to really get enough protein, you know, metabolized in their body. So I could imagine that, you know, we have a 3D printer, you know, that, you know, prints out their, you know, their vegan steak and it's, and it's, it's fashioned in a way that it's actually more digestible for them. And, you know, technically it is, you know, you know, quote unquote, frankenfood and processed, but, you know, I think we can be a little bit more precise here and say, you know, for, you know, you know, some specific, you know, aspects of health, it's, it's actually satisfying a need. Right. And so what about just average person with no particular nutritional needs, meaning, you know, we all need to have fiber um, yeah. and um, eat our vegetables basically, right? So how, how do you see the difference between those new forms of, I don't even know how to, this in this after meat future, let's just put it that way. How do you see day-to-day um, -day nutrition happening? Like what would those, new foods be made of in terms of nutritional content? Yes. So the new foods I, I suspect are really going to be replacing like the processed meats, like first and foremost. Right. Uh, so, you know, doing, doing a McDonald's uh, quarter pounder to an impossible burger. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I don't see, you know, for example, things like, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables going away anytime soon. Uh, okay. I, yeah. So, and, and, you know, I think, you know, in some ways, like the fact that we call things like the impossible burger and the beyond burger plant-based is, is a bit, you know, misleading because, you know, as you talk about Bridget, I know, um, you know, one of the benefits of, of plants and, and, you know, plant-based diet is the, is the fiber content, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you eat a beyond burger, you know, that, 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 that completely goes away and, you know, de defeats, uh, you know, right. yeah, you yeah. know that, that aspect. And so, yeah, so so a Beyond Burger is not going to replace a bowl of a salad, for sure not. Right. Okay. So we're we're seeing it more as a complement, maybe to uh, or do you think sometimes that they might be transitional foods to some extent, just to get more people to eat more plants? Is that part of the strategy you think? Like uh, part part uh, animal product, part uh, plant based. Um, no, just like you know, instead of buying a meat, you know, ready-made meat patty. I just buy a, a ready-made non-meat patty or after-meat, post-meat patty, right? Is it mostly that niche that you're thinking about? I mean, it's not even niche. It's the dominant part of the grocery shopping market, right? Yeah. So, so, so like going from like, say a, a beef burger to totally, like an yeah. impossible burger to like, you know, more a whole food diet. Possibly, right. I mean, so I yes. guess my question um, beyond this is why not just skip the middleman? Like, why do we need a bioengineered meat when we can just have lentils or chickpeas? Yeah. So I, so I think, you know, 
I, I think honestly, just like for a lot of the population, you know, it, it just might be a no go. Um, you know, I, I totally grant, you know, for probably like 95% of people, that's going to be better, you know, in terms of health, you know, just, just going mm -hmm. straight to lentils, going straight to, you know, leafy greens. Um, but, you know, I, I do think, you know, and, and, you know, I, I myself definitely have a struggle. Like I, I, I can just, I consider myself like a 50, 50 junk food, vegan, you know, whole <laughs> food, vegan, you know, and, right. and I even try to, you know, you know, split it up in a way where, you know, I make sure I have a salad at least for lunch every day, but then for, for dinner, I'll, I'll have my, um, no, I'll have my impossible burger, right? Right, 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 yeah. So do you, um, I wonder if, I don't, I'm sorry, because I, as I was mentioning, I didn't manage to finish reading the book. I don't know if that's something you talk about. Can we build into those meat products more, for example, vegetable-like features? Yeah. Um, you were mentioning leafy greens. You know, I mean, I occasionally, when I have too much, I dehydrate extra greens and I make a powder and I kind of sneak the powder here and there and nobody notices. Um, I'm wondering if there's a way that meat can be improved, um, not animal meat, but post meat could be improved to have more vegetable like features without necessarily impacting the taste or, you know, culinary experience. I think that would be awesome. Like uh, if we had something that straddled the fence of like a of like an impossible burger and like you know but it but it was like but we we doped in some you know fiber like some fiber from from like spinach or, or something yeah that that sounds amazing to me is I it something that can be done you think as part of this same yeah. kind of technology process yeah i don't i don't see any reason why that can't be done right okay that's cool i mean if we can add supplements you know nutrients to supplement various foods like vitamin d and milk i guess we can do um more um and better i mean that would be great it would be a, if we can add if we can make a meat with fiber you know in vancouver and um in british columbia we have a plant butcher called the very good butchers and they make burgers that are actually made of beans and they don't they certainly don't look like a beyond or an impossible burger like they they do look a little bit more like a plant-based patty but they're very satisfying and have been quite popular with the people i've tried them with but they're made of beans and I like that because then they really have a substantial amount of fiber and nutrition that makes you feel like you're ticking some of the boxes. Um, yes. More than just having a meal, right? Um, and, 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 you know, I think, I think honestly, like we're going to have a, we're going to have a lot of choice, you know, we're not going to, it's not just, you know, I, I think some people are, are definitely going to want that, you know, yes. very greasy, you know, you know, <laughs> meaty, meaty, um, you know, replacing the quarter pounder type of thing. But, you know, I, you know, I, I, I could totally see a lot of people also springing for something that's, you know, something, something in between. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, it's a vast market anyway. So there's going to be a lot of different competing and it's, I think it's wrong, just like it's wrong to say there's only one good type of activism, you know, once in a while there's a vegan protest of sorts and there's all the people that say, oh, that's the wrong way to send a message. Well, it's the right way for some people and it will stick with them and it will maybe turn off other people. But, and for food is the same thing. Um, different strokes yeah. for different folks. And we're looking at people at different stages of their journeys as well. Um, and in their ability to cook, even in their cooking facilities, some people don't even have a kitchen, right? Um, and what are they going to eat? That's a little bit better and hopefully more efficient than, uh, than the current animal-based meat. On that topic, I want to ask you maybe a last question is, 
what are the environmental implications of those new post-meat kinds of products? Uh, what kind of inputs are required to make yeah. them? How efficient is it? Obviously, it cannot be worse than, than, than cows, um, but what are we looking at in terms of environmental impact? Yes, uh, yes, thanks for asking. Uh, yeah, so for example, if it's a microbial fermentation, so let, like using the corn example of, you know, just, just creating mycelium and, you know, fashioning that into say a hot dog. So I, I calculated, I, uh, the specific numbers are in the book and I kind of walked through that, that, um, you know, if we could do, you know, say all of animal ag to say microbial fermentation, we'd basically free up, you know, more than 99.9% .9 of the land that we use. That is huge, that's yes. enormous. That is, that is the level of performance differences we're talking about between, um, you know, animal-based uh, production versus these, uh, you know, for example, microbial. That sounds like it might be even more efficient than actually eating the lentils, no? Yes, oh, well, yeah, uh, the details do matter here, but it, it, it might not necessarily, um, you know, so of course, like if we grew the lentils and then we had that lentil speed the microbial process, then, then, then definitely not. But, um, you know, if we had, uh, you know, some sort of like, you know, very productive plant feeding the microbial process, then, then, it, then it might. Yes. So interesting and fascinating. Well, let's hope that we keep on moving forward as a, it, it, I like that your angle is the technology challenge of creating those appealing and, you know, superior meat-like products compared to meat. I come at this as a sociologist and looking at the social economic policy level kinds of obstacles. And I really hope that we manage to burst through both, both kinds of barriers to produce a, a food, a real food that is, that is better in every regard. And I'm so grateful and delighted that good people like you are working hard on this at the moment. Thank you so much for doing that. Before uh, we uh, part ways, I would like you to tell us where people can learn more about your work, how they can get your book, and uh, how to keep on uh, stay connected to the to your great ideas. Thank you, and thank you, Bridget, for having me on your show. It's it's been a pleasure, and and thank you for all the great work that you're doing. You know, helping That's people. That's very kind. You know, adopt a you know more plant based lifestyle. Yes. Uh, so after meet book. It, com is my website and the book is available at most online retailers it is also available on smashwords.com and i don't want, want money to be a barrier to access so people can actually download it for free you know i, I don't even know who does this so you know don't worry don't worry about uh, me identifying you and um, all the profits are going to to charity so this was really written to get the world excited about this transition and um you know Whatever, whatever it takes, whatever, then let's do it. That is awesome. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. So aftermeat.com. Aftermeatbook.com. Aftermeatbook.com, excuse me. I will put the link in the show notes and uh, also with uh, every other opportunity, I will make sure to share about your book. Thank you so much for your work, Kartik. And I wish you all the best with developing those amazing post-meat products so we can have, I quote, an amazing meat-free world. Thank you so much. And thanks everybody for listening. And uh, I look forward to seeing you again very soon in the vegan family kitchen. Take care. Thank you. Bye.